Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you with information so you're empowered to make better financial decisions in your life. In today's show, I'm going to talk about a way for you to save money in your house, water, energy, the rest. Also, wow, the tipping thing never goes away. I mean, it's such a hot button with people. Now we're being expected to tip like just about everywhere. Like the microphone I'm on right now expects a tip from me each podcast. Not really. We're going to talk about the whole tipping thing. What rule should you go by? Good luck to me on that one. Anyway, I want to talk about something that is one of those things about human nature, as clear as could be, that if you have a dishwasher in your house, don't pre-rinse your dishes. Let me tell you something. My wife, Lane, will not hear this from me. And before a dish goes in the dishwasher, a glass goes in the dishwasher, anything goes in the dishwasher, she is rinsing and cleaning the dish. Do you do that too, Krista? You're looking at me funny. It happens in my household too. And I'm not the guilty one. I mean, I I do scrape it off. I usually do rinse a little, but I don't thoroughly scrub it like some others do. All right. So there's all this debate about this. The reality is dishwashers clean your stuff better when you don't pre-rinse it. Good Housekeeping Institute did a study over four months, 17 different models, and loaded them purposely made dishes as dirty as they could, didn't pre-rinse anything, and cleaned like a dream. You scrape the food off. You have to do that. But then there's some rough, it's the idea is like, right, that there's a little roughness for the actual dishwasher to work with, and that's why it cleans it better. That's what I read. Well. I don't know. But you also right. want to use a rinse aid if you have that. I found that made a huge difference in my dishwasher. Wow. You, this is something very important to you. This is I mean, something we all do, right? If you have a right. dishwasher, I'm running that thing all the time. So, Well, the Washington Post did a story where they took randomized people and told them this info, that you're much better off, you'll get cleaner dishes if you don't pre-rinse. And over and over again, people couldn't help themselves. They couldn't do it. They would even if they did a load where they didn't pre-rinse and they washed and the things were fine in the dishwasher, they couldn't break the habit the next time they were back to pre-rinsing. You're making the system work too hard and all the rest. You know, another example of this is laundry. You know, today's detergents are, you know, they'll be marked H-E, high efficiency. They want you to use teensy tiny amounts of detergent tiny amounts will get your clothes clean but people somehow think if they pour in tons of detergent that their clothes will come cleaner and what happens the sensor and the washer 
makes it wash a whole lot longer using a whole lot more energy, a whole lot more water because they put in so much detergent that it has to work a whole lot longer and it takes a lot longer to do your laundry and wears your clothes out sooner. So we have these machines to make our lives easier, the dishwasher. So I'll go after we have dinner at home and I'll go and I'll take the dishes and I put them straight in the dishwasher. (laughs) And then Lane pulls them back Mm -hmm, out, mm -hmm. rinses them off. This is what goes on in your house. No, I'm just cracking up at you. Why is that? (laughs) So you're trying to sneak it by her. Well, I mean, (laughs) they don't need to be pre-rinsed. I just put them in, put the stuff in. You start it and then it does its job, right? So there's this thing about we love having the machines and we don't trust them to do their job. But absolutely, try it. Try it. You'll like it. And with the washing machine for your clothes, please trust me on this. Don't use more detergent than the HE washer is calling for, which will be a little teeny, tiny amount of detergent. Well, the detergents usually have, if you have one that's a liquid, it has a, they have lines on the little cup yeah, you pour but, it but in the there cup, first. The cup is this yeah, you size. Don't fill out the cup, you fill and then they the have line. this line way down at the bottom of the cup that is how much you're supposed to put in. But people see the big cup and they put more in and then they pour it in. And so you've spent money on detergent, on water, on energy that you didn't need to. All right. And who am I? The way I dress to be giving (laughs) advice about how to do laundry. All right. Uh, We'll go to questions. This is from Thomas in North Carolina. My father has a state pension that will continue after his death to my half sister and myself. He has a will stating to split everything evenly, but should we set up a trust to ensure everything is split evenly? In fact, after he's gone, my sister and I are not close at all. So I want to ensure things go according to his wishes. I'm guessing, Thomas, it's just the two of you Sounds like it. split yeah. everything. Somebody has to be the executor of the will, or if you do a trust, somebody has to be the trustee of the trust. He has That's, a will, it says. So. Yeah, has the will, but he's asking, should there be a trust? Mm-hmm. The trust means you bypass probate, but you end up in the same circumstance where you still have somebody who is the trustee or you have somebody who is the executor of the will. So you're relying on that individual to be fair and equitable and do things right. And nobody's really looking over a trustee's shoulder or an executor's shoulder in a state. Something really has to go way wrong before you ever end up with any help from any legal authority on that. So it is truly a matter of trust. One of the things you can do is your dad could go ahead and designate beneficiaries on different accounts. If there are beneficiary designations, let's say on a bank account, brokerage account, retirement account, anything in addition to the state pension, and you're each named as 50-50 beneficiaries, then it passes outside a trust, outside a will, And there's no room for games to be played in that case. Don't know, you didn't say, if there's a house that the value of is supposed to be split between the two of you. That is something else that can be handled 
by how the real estate is titled. So this is one of those things that if everybody plays well, you wouldn't be asking the question. You have a breakdown in trust with your half-sister, and that's why you're asking the question. So setting things in place up front, not necessarily the will or the trust, but where things pass with the designations in the, the legal contract with a bank that says at time of death, this is paid to these beneficiary designations. That is a superior document to a will or a trust. And then you have less issues that would come up. But if you're really worried and there's a meaningful amount of money, Thomas, go see a lawyer who specializes in wills, estates, and trusts. Tell them you want everything done fair is fair, but you're worried how it'll play out. What would be the best way to protect a distribution of the assets so they truly are split evenly, properly, and fairly? Kevin in North Carolina says, Chase recently changed my credit card from Freedom Flex to Freedom Unlimited. I called and they said they sent an email about the change, but I couldn't find it. They said the Freedom Unlimited was a better card for me. I thought this was an arrogant answer, and I told them to change it back or cancel the card. If I wanted a Freedom Unlimited card, I would apply for one. They changed it back. Is this something that credit card companies do, and if so, why? It's not a common occurrence that we hear about about credit cards being recharacterized and you're, you're in one and they send you another. I would highly doubt that Chase or any other issuer would do something like this that you didn't request and it would actually be better for you, as the phone rep said. So I think you did the right thing asserting yourself. I would use this as an opportunity to see if either of the Chase cards really is the best deal for you. I mean, to me, what I would be looking at is the marketplace, the best in the marketplace right now are 2% cash back cards, do a flat 2%. And to me, that's the best place to be charging your activity, especially if you pay your balances in full every month. Bruce in Arizona says, I have an airline credit card. I have moved and it's now almost 175 miles to an airport with that airline. I called to downgrade my card to a no cost card, but they will not downgrade. Really? I know it's not good to cancel a credit card. What other options should I consider? So Bruce, there's not necessarily a problem with you canceling the annual fee airline card. If you like to travel, I would become a free agent. And if you want to hold down the annual fee as much as possible, but I can tell you it may be well worth paying the $95 or $99 fee with Chase Sapphire Preferred, same Chase we were just talking about a moment ago, or the Capital One Venture Card. Both of these allow you to be a free agent, earn really decent rewards with good sign-up bonuses, and you make back... If you're a regular traveler, you easily make back the $95 or $99 fee with those. Again, the if, if, if is if you are a routine regular traveler, you will benefit from either of these cards. Then you will have replaced the available credit that you have with the airline card, and you'll have something that will work much better for you than a card that makes you captive to one particular airline. Coming up ahead, I want to talk about the conundrum we face when we're out and about at all kinds of places 
And that's the iPad in our face asking for a tip at places that never had tipping before. What are we to do? First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The tipping thing is everywhere now, all kinds of places. You wouldn't have expected it before. I had somebody ask me one that prompted me to want to talk about this. They were picking up their car from service. When they were paying, there was a line for them to tip the mechanic. Mechanics generally at an auto repair facility are working from an industry pricing guide Historically, it was known as the book, and it sets out that for this kind of job, you should bill so many hours, and mechanics race against the book. The whole idea is to become experienced enough that you can do the work quicker than the book says. The guidelines probably all electronic now, but called the book. So you're billed for two hours, three hours, five hours, whatever, even if the job is completed in a fraction of that time. And so mechanics, as they get experience and get better and better at doing a job, are making more money because they're billing at the industry rate, but they are doing far more billable hours a day than the hours they're actually working. So to tip an auto mechanic, that sounds weird to me, but It's no weirder than all the different places we're asked for tips. My wife was recently talking about she was at a retail store. And when she checked out, there was a line for a tip at the retail store at the cashier. That sounded odd to me. The places we're seeing it the most, obviously, are in limited service or fast food in the restaurant sector. That's the most common. And so there are a lot of things now where uh, the person who's ringing us up is also the person flipping the iPad around, and then right in front of them, it will say on it, and I saw the other day at a carryout place that the suggested tip levels were 20%, 25%, and first time I'd seen it, 30%. And I was like, wow. And then there are other places that if you're buying something that's a very small dollar item, it will suggest a tip of a dollar or two or whatever instead of a percent. Because if you did percent, it would be so small that it would almost be an insult to tip. I mean, this is hard, hard stuff. This has really happened so much in carryout and 
quick serve and stuff because it is a substitute for the employer paying a decent wage. And so you essentially are subsidizing the wages of that worker, not even knowing if you tip on that device, is it actually going to go to the worker at all? Or is it just going to be pocketed by the employer? So this is very, very difficult. One thing I've thought about is that if you do feel an intention to tip, that you do so with something that is an obscure thing from the Stone Age. It's called cash. That if you put cash in a tip jar, that a lot of places that will have the tablet, if you wish to leave a tip, leave it in cash. Because then you have a much better chance that you can be confident it's actually going to go to the employee. And I'll give an example when I don't tip. Okay. I wonder if I'm going to sound this like a horrible Clark person. This stinks. Okay, what is it? So let's say I go to a bagel shop, and I don't have them do anything for me other than hand me a bagel. You know, I'm, I'm not having it prepped. I'm not having it toasted. I'm not buying butter or cream cheese. I'm just buying it like I'm buying a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. I don't tip. Okay. On the other hand, if I order a bagel, my standard bagel order is a sesame bagel, <laughs> double toasted with butter. Yum. So if I have them do all that, then I tip. So these are all the games we play in our heads. How do we decide when we tip, when we don't? But I love cash instead of the iPad. Not that I have anything against iPads. They're a great device. But that's a black hole. And who knows where that money goes? Now, how do you deal with I usually just tip because I feel so bad when they turn it around and there's some people I tip through Venmo though. So I know that they get it because I don't really carry a lot of cash and I do use Venmo with a separate banking account. That's not attached. You don't have to justify. I know. I I see you looking at me like. I mean, I'm in the confessional. Yeah. (laughs) So it's tough. I mean, when someone's right in front of you too, but you feel like you really haven't gotten a lot of service. They're just handing you things. It's just, I don't know. It's frustrating, but I don't also want to be the person, you know, and I'm sure for you, if they recognize you too, you're like, you don't want them like go Clark Howard, that guy didn't tip anything, you know? Remember what I said about my haircut? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you didn't hear that on a prior podcast, I get my haircut for $16. And I know we had several people complain the last time, how could I spend that much to get my haircut? Anyway, that's what it costs. I go to one of the chains. That's what it is. So I was tipping $3 when I got my hair cut. And a guy next to me said, I can't believe you're tipping that little. Mm. You realize how little money he's making from cutting your hair? You need to tip at least $8 to have your hair cut. Wow, 50%. So I have stepped it up. And I next time I got my hair cut, and I told the guy who cuts my hair, I said, why I'm tipping so much more. And he said, I didn't put him up to it. I didn't put him up to it. Oh, my gosh. He said, I'm really glad he told you that. Oh, man. All right. How yeah. much should I tip? 
or a haircut? I, don't, I can't tell you. I mean, I always tip 20% for my haircuts, but they don't cost $16. So I don't know what to say about that. I'd probably at least round it up to 20 Again, like, shouldn't the places be paying their employees the right amount of money and then your maybe your cost for your haircut goes up? I don't understand why we can't just have a system like that. Well, but the marketplace makes that a $16 haircut. And then, you know, another place may be, as somebody told me recently, why am I paying that when they get their haircut for five bucks? Mm. All right, we'll go to questions. Ready? <laughs> Steven in Virginia says, I listen to your show every day while I drive my six-year-old daughter to school. I've taken your advice and mailed all three credit bureaus to freeze all three of my kids' credit. The problem is one of the bureaus has denied my oldest three times with a new excuse every time, despite receiving everything they requested and no issues with the other kids or other bureaus. When I call, they are not only powerless to do anything, but they have no record of the documents I sent, despite sending me letters saying they received them. With the information they are losing, I feel like they are putting my daughter's credit more at risk. Is there anything I can do other than send it for a fourth time and pray they will eventually do their jobs? So, first of all, when you call one of the credit bureaus, you're talking with a contract call center somewhere who knows where in the world. The employees don't have access. They're not employees. They're contractors. They're not seeing this stuff. It's just a big, big mystery where the documents you sent went. So what you should do now, and I will tell you, you probably, I'm not a gambler, but I'd say the odds are really good that what I'm about to tell you will pay off. Go to consumerfinance.gov. That's the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. File a complaint against the credit bureau there and the problem you're having. It's actually dealt with by U.S.-based employees of the credit bureau when you file a complaint with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And I'm betting that within about two to three weeks, somehow, somehow, magically, your child's credit will now be frozen. Again, consumerfinance.gov. Charles Nevada says, I have a question regarding Apple Pay and credit card reward tiers. As an example, if I use my trusty City Costco Visa at a restaurant, I earn 3% cash back. However, if I use Apple Pay in conjunction with the same City card at that same restaurant versus swiping or inserting the City card in their payment processor, does the transaction revert to only the base 1% cash back? I'm unable to find a definitive answer in the city terms and conditions. In general, does each card issuer treat transactions using Apple Pay as a base percent category or are transactions using Apple Pay bucketed into the same rewards category as the merchant? No and, oh, issue. I have to add this. Thanks for all your wise advice over the years. Go Falcons. Okay, go ahead. I love my Falcons. Thank you for that. So you got no problem because it's the merchants that are coded. So it doesn't matter if you pay with Apple Pay or GPay. There'd have to be a clerical problem if you didn't get your 3% back using Apple Pay. You should be absolutely fine doing so. Nothing to worry about because it is the merchant who's coded and that coding does not change whether you pay with inserting the card, tapping to pay with the card, tapping with Apple Pay, GPay, your Apple Watch, your Samsung Watch, your Pixel Watch, it should work just fine and you get your 3% cash back for restaurants. 
Mary in Georgia says, what is the advantage of a passport card over a passport book? So they're different. A passport card allows you traveling by surface to not have to carry your traditional passport, the book, with you. So less chance of it being stolen or whatever. A lot of people who go on cruises routinely out of a U.S. port will travel with a passport card instead of a passport And that way, if it does get stolen or lost during the trip, you still have your regular passport. I don't do that even with a passport card for this reason. If something happened on the cruise, like family member had an emergency, medical emergency or whatever, I have to fly back from a port and I can't fly back with the passport card. I need to have the passport book. But the passport card is really designed for surface transportation and is used frequently by people who so many Americans travel across the border by car into Canada and Mexico. And that's the principal use of the card over the book. It's pretty inexpensive. If you live near the border of Mexico or Canada and you're renewing a passport, having both can be quite useful. And want to tell you that we're about to have a Clarky of the day. That's where people call in to a special number and leave us a little voicemail that we play at the end of each podcast. I've been asked to give the number again because I always forget to give the number. Right. And this isn't for questions. It's just for any comment or whatever you want to say. Commentary, comments, whatever. Tell us about yourself. Whatever it is. 404 981-2071 in order to leave a Clarkie. And without further ado, who's today's Clarkie from? Jeff. This is Jeff from Virginia. I've been listening to Clark for decades, and his wisdom and advice on just about everything that intersects with my life, travel, savings, retirement, all that stuff has had a major impact on me, and I could never thank him enough. What I really want to point out is the trickle-down effect, though. (laughs) I have a high school-age son, and he went out for lunch with a bunch of his buddies after ball practice, and they went to a hamburger chain that's national. We'll call it Handful of Dudes, not to give away any (laughs) uh, names. But uh, he got a couple of hot dogs french fries and a soda he came back and he was like dad that 27 dollars." he said it was and so they were talking about it his buddies were over the house and i said i'd like to take you guys all out for lunch and where did i take them you got it costco i got four of his buddies and him hot dogs and a drink and they even got ice cream for less than the $27 that my son spent on his lunch alone. So the next generation, the next wave knows who Clark is, and they will be thanking him in the years to come as I have. Thanks so much for what you guys do, the entire team, and I listen to you every day and look forward to every episode. Thank you. Thank you very much. And my youngest got his Costco membership as his 18th birthday gift. Oh, wow. He's now a Costco member. And what did I have him do when he got his membership? Go pick up a prescription oh, for me. There you go. The pharmacy. <laughs> it's like, thanks, Dad. 
But, you know, teaching the concept of thrift in whatever way, that was a perfect example because your son teed you up perfectly for that, complaining about how much the lunch was. And you said, doesn't have to be. And you got him the hot dog and drink for a buck fifty. Got him the ice cream. I don't know how much the ice cream is. I don't know. Never had Costco ice cream. It's frozen yogurt, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, it's frozen yogurt. I've, I've never had it, but I love it. Just you know, you meet somebody where they are, where they're thinking, where they're motivated. You use that as that teaching moment, and I think that's absolutely wonderful. So thank you so much for sharing. Want to hear your Clarky? Again, the number 404-981-2071. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great rest of your day. Remember what we're devoted to, you learning ways to save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off.